0: It's not necessarily an act of ego, saying I can do something no one else can do, but it's an act of, of, of grateful response. God has made me to do something and He will equip me to do.
1: Welcome to The Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Brian Brown is the founder and executive director of the Anselm Society, an organization dedicated to a renaissance of the Christian imagination. Along with Jane Scharl, Brian edited a collection of essays called Why We Create, Reflections on the Creator, the Creation, and Creating. In this episode, Brian and I talk about the creation, bringing order out of disorder, and the distinctions between cultivating, naming, and subcreating. Brian Brown, so happy to have you on the Habit Podcast today.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
1: Uh, I am excited about uh, the new book that you were uh, one of the two editors on. Um why we create reflections on the creator, creation, and creating. Um, this was sort of a Anselm uh a, a, a cooperation between the Anselm Society and Square Halo Books. Is that fair to say? It is. Well, you wrote the introduction, um, which I love. Um, and I just want to talk about it. I want to I do want to get into the uh Anselm Society uh in the second half of this conversation, but let's start by talking about um this book. And you you as we know from the title, it's a book about creation, both the creation that God made and the the uh the the work of creativity. Um you call this uh, this book a a crash course in the creation story. Um 12 12 authors that you are, you know what, I'm gonna let you talk about it. Tell me about this book, Brian.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the story of it goes back 10 years. We have um, here in Colorado Springs, we've run what we call our, our arts guild um, for almost 10 years. And uh, as we have done the work of discipleship with artists, and I use that term very broadly, writers, singers, songwriters, painters, dancers, everything. Um the, there was a big disconnect that we were noticing uh, between their, their their level of proficiency with their arts and on the one hand, and their level of proficiency with their faith on the other. And they were asking us for more resources with regard to um, Christian creativity. And what we were finding was the problem wasn't fundamentally a creative technique problem. It was a theological formation problem. Specifically, we were noticing that Uh, most of them did not have a mental category between indifference and idolatry. Hmm. So you can, and and you've probably seen this. I grew up in uh, a Bible church. Uh, I saw a lot of this. If you started to talk about something in the material world as good, there was this immediate sort of ethic of suspicion uh, that if I like that thing, I'm going to make an idol out of it, which is a legitimate fear. Uh, But a lot of these artists had come from backgrounds where that fear had grown to define um, the group's entire theology. So that if you were, say, a novelist, your pastor had uh, no explanation for you for why your vocation mattered in the kingdom of God. It was not oriented towards the next world in an extremely immediate sense. So they kind of didn't know what to do with it. So the book itself was our answer to uh, that challenge. The second half of the book deals with the craft of creativity and how do we learn to, to some extent, create as God creates, but also to some extent, create as the Imago Dei, uh, create the way that he made us to create. But to get there, we had to go through the first half of the book, which is an attempt to essentially reboot uh, our attitude towards the material world. How can we look at what God has made uh, in a way that is between indifference and idolatry Hmm. that does not turn that does not worship the thing for its own sake, but looks at good things that God has made, calls them good the way that God does and learns to see the world as, as what it is, which is something that bears his fingerprint, something that is uh, designed to show us him and to equip us partially to show him to not just other humans, but literally the cosmos. Yeah.
1: Capon says, uh, God is the original materialist. <laughs> <laughs> that that matter, you know, he, God thinks matter is good. Um, This book is made up of 12 essays by 12 different writers a- around different, uh, all of whom have some relationship to the Anselm Society. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we had kind of an embarrassment of riches on that uh, on that front. Um, we we knew we wanted this book to uh, exist. Uh, theoretically, we had several people um, on our team who who could have taken a crack at writing it. But the Anselm Society started as a lecture series. Mm-hmm. It started with us bringing in wise minds from around the world. Um, initially, it was supposed to be the life of the mind more more broadly. But everybody we brought in wanted to talk about the arts we brought in mm-hmm. theologians and they wanted to talk about Dostoevsky. Yeah. Um, uh, so you know, that was just God, God guiding us. And so, since we knew all of these people, um, I literally emailed a dozen people and said, Hey, we have this idea for this book, here's why we think it's important. Um, would you be willing to write one chapter? And we had specifically we specifically asked them to write the one chapter on uh, their superpower to some extent, something mm-hmm. that we knew they were really good at. And in many cases, something they'd written a book on, because this mm-hmm. was part of the problem. It wasn't that there were no resources on sacramental ontology. It wasn't that there were no resources on how do we look at the world in the way that God looks at the world. But they were typically lengthy, heady. Um, you had to read 20 of them to kind of wrap your head around it even a little bit. And and so in many cases, we were able to go to the authors of those books and say, hey, can you write a one-chapter synopsis of the core argument? You know, Hans Borsma, you've written this wonderful book, Heavenly Participation. Yeah. Can you, in one chapter, uh, give us the key argument that you make early in that book so that we can then hand that to an artist, they can read it in one sitting, it can completely reshape the way they look at material reality, and then... On the one hand, they can move on into other topics in our book. But on the other hand, they're then inspired to go read the full yeah. argument you make in your book.
1: Yeah. So you assigned these topics. You didn't just say, um, write about, we'd, we'd love to have an essay from you. you
0: yeah, say. this is not your traditional, uh, you know, we made this book knowing that it wasn't going to be a bestseller because it's technically a collection of essays and they're never bestsellers. Yeah. But... um we had thoroughly outlined the book um mm-hmm. i was able to send a, a word document around to all the authors saying okay you're chapter three uh-huh. but by, by then you can look at the previous chapters and see perhaps chapter two is going to cover this topic or, or uh-huh. made this argument covered these three key topics chapter nine later is going to handle this topic yeah. uh matthew clark and his chapter on subcreation did a particularly good job kind of dialoguing with what he knew would be covered in before him and after him. Uh Um, So, and then we did, uh, Anita Palmer, our editor, did an amazing job, um, our kind of pulling the last pieces together after Jane and I were finishing with it, making sure that the pieces really dialogued with each other beautifully.
1: Yeah. I didn't even mention your, your one editor,
0: uh, Jane, um, Jane's last name is. uh, Yeah. Jane Clark, Charles Jane is um, a world-class poet, but she's also just incredibly talented with all things, writing. Uh, yeah. So the the collaboration was great. I was able to do the um, the front end work on, all right, what do we want out of this? What's the structure? Um, work with Jane on who we wanted to write the pieces. Jane did the heavy lifting, um, uh-huh. dialoguing initially with the authors on the pieces, um, making it feel like one book. Um, and then, yeah, our our other editors then did the finishing touches just as editors do with every great book. Yeah, right. Well, Brian, I want to talk about
1: your um, your introduction, you know, that sets this whole thing up. Uh, specifically, wh- where I want to start is a claim you make um, that most Christian people uh, in the United States, anyway, think of the the story as a two chapter story, and you're offering a four chapter story. Can you tell me what the two chapter story is, and what's the what's the four chapter story? I say you're offering a four chapter story. Your point is the story has been a four, four chapter story all along
0: right and 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 i make no claim that um this argument is original to me uh but i hope not it's uh, you're right <laughs> um uh but if um you know one one thing i say sometimes as as kind of a throwaway joke but it's true to a large extent america was settled by the heretics um you know our the story of our founding is the story of uh, a search for religious freedom but usually the people searching for religious freedom were the religious minorities and uh-huh. and uh, and yes the heretics crept in and and so you know there's a lot of influence of not so much the reformation as the spin off of the spin off of the spin off of the spin off of the reformation uh that <laughs> flavors um even denominations in america that you know go back to the reformation or or beyond um and one one specific way um, that that our story's been influenced by that, especially over the past couple hundred years in the wake of the second great awakening, is um, that there is a there's an intense focus on conversion. There's an intense focus on praying that sinner's prayer and getting into heaven. And there's that you know, everybody's got sort of that stereotype of the the street corner preacher screaming yeah. about hell and damnation and um to the point where, if you watch any TV show in America that has a religious fanatic, they all talk like that street corner yeah. preacher. Even if they're not Christian religious fanatics, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's so ubiquitous in our imagination. But um, you know, in that story, the the story is two chapters. It's a story of sin and redemption. You suck, and you can be saved from the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the it's funny that it's so ubiquitous because if you handed a complete stranger who's never heard of Christianity, the Bible said, this is the holy writ of a religion, skimming over and tell me what the story is. They would notice that the first thing that happens in that story is not sin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not the premise of the story. Um, the premise of the story is, is creation. It's God making this thing. Huh, why does God make this thing? Why does God make the material world? Why does he make these people to care for it? Why does he invest them with such um, significance? Why does he let them... Why does he let them name all the stuff he's made? That's weird. Um and that 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 creation story is then this is the hero's journey story. And this is why the hero's journey story uh motif is so um kind of ingrained in, in our minds. It's literally the story of of the human race. You have the the setting, the good thing, you have the the fall, the incitement to action. Um, you have all the terrible things that happen from that, the way that. Uh, that that God um, progressively reveals himself to uh, his people uh, and and prepares them for the revelation and the incarnation. And then you have, yeah, the salvation bit, the justification bit, the sacrifice and resurrection of Christ. And then what's the end of the story? That's not the end of the story. And the end of the story isn't disembodied souls on clouds playing harps either. Um, There's... We don't because the story begins in something good that God has created, it also ends in something better that God has yeah. completed. It's not a story of evacuation. So, if you know, the, the problem we ran into with our artists was they'd never really been taught most of them what they were created for. And if you don't know what you're created for, how on earth can you understand what you're redeemed for? On the flip side, if you are, if you are. If you understand what you're created for and you understand where the story is going, you understand that the things that I do here and now uh, are an invitation by God to participate in his work of restoring and consummating all things. Then the things that you create actually do in some mysterious way have eternal significance. It's not all going to burn.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that seems to me matters very much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, Mako Fujimura talks about um, human culture is not just a matter, and not mostly a matter of repairing, but of creating something new, um, which seems relevant to to what you're what you're talking about here. Um, the I'd be interested to, to hear your thoughts on. Uh, I, I never thought about about this until I was listening to a podcast from the the Bible Project recently. Um and they talk about the idea the two two things that that I, from that podcast that I thought about as I was reading your introduction. One is um the idea of creation being a matter of of going moving from disorder to order, right? So that the, the opposite of creation in that sort of Hebrew way of thinking about things, it's not we go from nothing to something, but from disorder to order. Um and you may have some thoughts on on why that is significant. Um, and then, secondly, I I hope I'm not misquoting them or, or misrepresenting what they're saying. But they indicated, if I've if I've got this right, the original creation. It's not that it was all good. It's that it, that this little little garden was good, and that God deputized human beings to to push out from that place of order. And goodness to impose order, impose may be the right word, may not be the right word to to cultivate order um, out from that that one little outpost. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts, any reflections on on that idea? And I I hope that's a I hope I represented them correctly. B the idea that the original creation wasn't all ordered and, and good, but rather had a little outpost of ordering goodness that, that we were viceroys of the King to go out and, and, and order. He-
0: yeah. I love the way that, that Milton frames this in, in Paradise Lost. Adam has this amazing little line. He's, he's reflecting on the garden at the end of the day to, to Eve. And um, I, uh, one of these days I'm going to memorize it because it's, it's, so good. And I would love it if I could just repeat it to you verbatim. But the, the gist of it is, uh, he he looks at it, and, and he's seeing, you know, oh, that that path over there is a little bit overgrown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. Beyond the, the edges of the garden, we haven't even gotten started yet. It, more hands will be required. Yeah, then than ours. I mean, this is people mock Christianity for its attention to to sexual ethics. And uh, sometimes I hear people say that Christians are obsessed with the nuclear family. This is why. The notion of uh, being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth is about fulfilling that quest yeah. to participate with God in making all of Earth function after the pattern of Heaven. Yeah, which is. Bonkers! That, you know, <laughs> it is. There, 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 there are notions in in Jewish tradition that this is what set Lucifer off. This is, uh, this is just a tradition. This isn't written down. This isn't holy writ or anything. But, uh, but I kind of like it. This notion that what really made him irritated was that God had made material beings stuff from his perspective, right? In the same way that we view a rock or a piece of bread as stuff, um, God made stuff that could create spiritual life that could create other life of spiritual significance and was being invited into uh, not only partnership but oneness with Hmm. god
1: yeah yeah um you you uh distinguish the work in under three headings cultivate name sub-create can you kind of walk me through what are those th- those three subheadings?
0: Yeah, um, and we 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 tee that up a little bit by talking about um, gratitude and memory, which are related. Um, Christians uh, ought to create out of an ethic of of gratitude. Um, yeah. We have been given something; we are supposed to um, act out our gratitude by stewarding that thing by doing with that thing, what it was, what it was made for. Um, and similarly, Christians ought to be better than anyone else at the art of memory. Um, there's a reason that scripture says, uses the term remember so many times. And I understand it doesn't just mean c- recall to mind, um, yeah. but it doesn't mean less than call to mind. Yeah. Uh, and the, it, you know, if, if, if if the church isn't um, a friend of mine recently, uh, said that if the church isn't actively teaching something we will absorb the popular culture doctrine on the subject and i think that's true with our attitude towards the past um you know both in the sense of a sense of dismissiveness they're not as enlightened as we are um which is the the cultural attitude these days but also in the sense that um i mean if you had asked me to give you a, a church history survey um, Twenty years ago, it would have gone something like the Book of Acts, Martin Luther, and me. Yeah, quite a bit skipped <laughs> in there in terms of the history of God's people and God's work in His pe- among His people. Um, so, so having kind of laid that groundwork, all right, that God has created something good. That God has created, um, and we haven't talked about this, but but some uh, something where we're put in a material world, and that material world is actually the the only place we are given to meet god mm-hmm. we meet yeah. god through the god who is spirit through the material world whoa all right having established that having gone into the nature of that having talked about the importance of remembering what has gone before and being grateful for what we've given okay great now what do we do with that how do we create in light of that and that's when we get to cultivate name and and subcreate. so we have wonderful chapters um in in the book that'll go into much more detail than than what i'll do here but cultivate is important because um it's I mean, on some level it's the original um creation mandate it's the original thing that's that's told to adam and eve in the garden um you've been given mm-hmm. raw materials They're not just raw materials it's not like you have this dead piece of lumber mm-hmm. um so cultivating requires uh you know and, and our Lancia Smith likes to remind people that cultivating isn't um, growing flowers. Cultivating is actually begins with plowing and getting rid of rocks and mm-hmm. um, bringing order out of chaos in order that life can grow. But it requires that we have this great attention to the nature of what we've been given. If I'm a yeah. woodworker, if I'm a gardener, if i if I work with the materials of God's creation, I cannot ignore. The nature and the substance of those things. I have to ask the questions of how does this work? And how does it work if I don't touch it? And um, what is it for? These teleological questions, what is it for? Um, And you start asking those questions, a lot of the ways that we are confused in in our contemporary age in terms of our relationship with our bodies, for example, start to kind of fall into place. What is this for? Mm -hmm. Um, All right, having then Having established this notion of cultivation, um, then we get into naming, which I just think, uh, and, and you know, Ned Buster, who, who published this book, has, has also um, published the book Naming the Animals, which is mm-hmm. a great little summary of this uh, idea. It's just crazy that the supreme God of all the universe created up to a certain point and then stopped. Not in the sense that he's not creating all the time, but in the sense that he said, come join me. Yeah. Right? I, 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 yeah, I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not saying God, the, the creation was something God did in Genesis and He's done. Yeah. He is always creating, but He invites yeah. us to participate in that. And, and he says, hey, here's this thing that I've made. Now go name it, which is, is a call to creativity. That's to some extent you could argue that's the original call to creativity. Yeah. Call this what, what comes to your mind. Yeah. But on the other hand, it requires again attention to what is it? What is it for? Adam has to look closely at what God has made and say, what ought to be the name of such a thing? Yeah. That
1: thing allegates, I shall call it an alligator. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, and, you know, and then, and then the sub creation is where you get to, you know, more of what we think of as creativity. The, uh-huh. um, I don't like this word, but what, what we think of as originality Um uh-huh. And it might be my favorite chapter in the in the book, um, Matthew. So, Clark is, is the is, difference
1: between subcreation and cultivation? There's something in in subcreation, something is coming out of my from inside of me out into the world, and cultivation is there's something out in the world, and I'm helping it to become the fullest
0: sense of what it is. Is is that? I, the I, I would. I guess I, I would. I would. I'd probably. Um, frame them less as um, separate things in the sense that a, a gardener cultivates and a painter subcreates. I would, I would simply frame them as um, different aspects of the creative, the same creative process for every creator. Okay. Um, so I need you help have, on that. Cause I, I
1: don't know what you're talking about.
0: Okay. So you have the, 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 the cultivation aspect, which is, which is I, I start my creative process with an attitude towards uh, humility and understanding and caring for it's, 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 it's gratitude in action. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm starting the creative process with this posture towards God of what have you given me? How can I steward it? Um, how can I help it to do what you have made for it to do? And that might be in a very literal sense, like helping a flower grow. Um, or it might be in a much more, um, technically complex sense. Um, you know all of the the ancients talked about the muse, this notion of mm-hmm. kind of divine inspiration like what would you have me do with this
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and then um subcreation is more this sense of uh, it it's 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 what results in cathedrals it's what results okay. in novels mm-hmm. um and it's, so it's it's be, now it's become much more specific um uh, a friend of mine quoted me in an essay recently, and I'd completely forgotten the story until she 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 did so. But um there's an old hymn, um, it's an Isaac Watts hymn, Jesus shall reign. And in the if in the unlikely event you were to hear this this hymn in church um today, um there's a line that says, um, let every creature rise and bring his grateful honors to our king. Uh-huh the original line that Isaac Watts wrote was not his grateful honors to our King. It was peculiar honors yeah. to our King. And, you know, everybody hears that word and they go, that's a weird word. Nobody uses that word anymore. Why would we put that in the hymn? Let's change it. So they did. Yeah, But the word peculiar is wonderful in that context yeah. because it reminds us of two things. One, that Christ is due honor that is due to no one else. Yeah, um, Real important, but also that you have been made to bring honor to the king that only you can bring yeah so when you get to yeah. subcreation you've, you've you've kind of the book kind of takes this path from what what from God and what he has done to his creation to our responsibilities for his creation and it keeps just getting more and more and more and more specific what shall I do what shall I do what shall I do so when you get to sub-creation now you're talking about your're sub-creating or some people say co-creating in the sense of God has made things. I'm not making iron. I'm not making mm-hmm. wood. I'm not making language. Um, I'm wielding it almost.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but, but now what does it mean for me specifically to sub create? How, what is, what is the actual creative process of me participating in the work of God to make something he's called me and only me, um, to make that, um, That doesn't necessarily require more self-esteem than most people have (laughs) these days, but it does require more um, openness to participation with God, right? It's not necessarily an act of ego saying, I can do something no one else can do, but it's an act of of grateful response. Yeah, yeah. So God has made me to do something and he will equip me to do something that.
1: Okay, I think I understand the connection between cultivation and subcreation in the arts. Um, is there, help me understand the aspect of uh, subcreation that, say, a gardener does. I understand. So I see, a, I understand how gardeners cultivate. What is the subcreation aspect of gardening? Or is it not, is, it, is, it, is that just cultivation, which is also wonderful?
0: Uh so my wife is an amazing gardener and she could probably answer this question better than me, but two things come to mind. One, um, she and I were spent a week in um Charleston a few years ago and Mm -hmm. um, you know, visited some of the usual suspect plantations in the area. And I don't remember their names, but there were two of them literally next door to each other. Mm -hmm. And one of them was done in a in a very um the garden was done in a very romantic kind of style, and the other was done was more of an English country garden. Mm -hmm. Both gardeners had to cultivate. Both gardeners could not ignore the laws of nature when it came to what made a given plant thrive. Um, but both gardeners subcreated completely differently. Mm -hmm. Um, one of them, and and it might have a different effect on different people, but the English country garden is very orderly. It's very, um, you know, there's neat rows, there's trim, beautifully trimmed hedges. There's, Mm -hmm. there's a sense of Peacefulness, every garden has a sense of peacefulness. But this particular peacefulness had had mm-hmm. this nature of um everything it's in is in its proper place. Uh, yeah. It's very, you know, very English, right? Yeah. Um and and the other one felt like almost more like barely controlled wildness. Mm-hmm. Um so if you're the sort of person who finds peace in kind of getting lost in the woods, this was a garden that would have felt, yeah. would have made you feel at home and maybe. Given life to your soul. Both gardeners, both had to cultivate to get there, but both took completely different sub-creative choices in yeah. uh, how they channeled all of that. Another example, though, would be um, we uh, we we lived in an apartment for ten years, couldn't have a, a garden. We've now lived in a, a house for three, three and a half. So I've had my first experience with with my family and having a garden, and I can tell you as the 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 gardener's assistant, um, the uh, or the way I tend to view my role is I'm I'm the guy who plows the rocks, the yeah. the one who bring who brings order out of chaos, so that my wife can bring life out of that order.
1: My wife and uh, I call that the difference between monkey work and gorilla work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, she's not she's not simply um, making something pretty. Her 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 orientation isn't just Let's, you know, put flowers in there and let them do what they do best. She's thinking about the people yeah. on the other end of it. Uh-huh. She's thinking about not just what life will happen in this garden in terms of peonies and bees and whatnot. She's also thinking about what life will, will people be having uh, in mm-hmm. this garden. So her, her level of sub-creation is this dialogue between the act of cultivation that's the precondition for any kind of mm-hmm. creation, but it's going to that level of how does this further the kingdom? How does this create human flourishing? How does this this little and to use Sarah Clarkson's phrase, this little little patch of heaven? Yeah. This little patch of earth that I've been entrusted to, how do I make it an outpost of heaven? The yeah. answer isn't isn't just making it prettier in some sort of generic sense. Yeah.
1: I I'm I'm I keep thinking about that that word peculiar. Um and you're you're talking about I, I wonder if a distinction between the uh cultivating aspect of things and the subcreation aspect of things is cu- cultivation is dealing with that which is not peculiar to us, right you as you said there's there's rocks there's there's trees there's principles you can do things in Colorado Springs that I can't do in Nashville in terms of gardening because we have different climates and
0: and that's I not would say more, more the other way around, but yes. Yeah. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> um, and, um, and then those things your wife is doing in the garden um, after you've gotten all the rocks out, those are peculiar. Those are, those are things that, that, that she can do that, that her neighbor next door is not doing.
0: Um, yeah, I think so that, that. The, the cultivation is the precondition. It's the, it's 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 part of the answer to the question, what is the human race called to do in mm-hmm. response to the fact that it is created in the image of God? And then subcreation becomes the answer, or part of the answer to the question, what shall I do in mm-hmm. response to the fact that I'm created in the image of God?
1: Yeah, that's so good. Um, Alright, before we run out of time, I want to hear a little more about what's going on at the Anselm Society. Um, you're uh, your mission is about the renaissance of the Christian imagination. I think what, uh, what, everything we've been talking about here has been about the renaissance, you know, the rebirth of the, of the Christian imagination. Um, tell me some some more about what y'all are doing specifically to uh, to help with the this renaissance.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of your listeners will be familiar with, uh, of course, Rabbit Room and a number of other groups in the, what I would, Call the Christian imagination space. Um, I, I would say probably one of the uh, subspaces we occupy in that movement is that we bring the uh, the art and literature nerds and the theology nerds together. Mm-hmm. We're, we're just as interested in the craft of orthodoxy than we mm-hmm. are as we are in the craft of making art. So with regard to this relationship with the material world, a lot of our programming, zeroes in there we want to help people enjoy the christian imagination we want to have them to help them understand it and we want to help them embody it so in practical terms you know enjoying it means uh you, you and i've both read robert for capons essay meditation on an onion uh everyone needs to go google that right now because mm-hmm. he just does an amazing job taking this thing that that god has made and saying let's wait a minute don't just rush off, don't just cut it. Yeah. let's just pause and appreciate the beauty of this one small thing that that God has made. Um, so everything that we can do to help people stop, you know part of the part of the sin of of, of sloth is actually busyness. That's a whole separate conversation. but um, when we devote our lives to busyness the way that we all sort of instinctively do in our culture, mm-hmm. we are we're being trained away from paying attention Mm
1: -hmm. from
0: from truly seeing so the first step is just maybe it's an onion maybe it's a meal maybe it's a work of literature maybe it's a song let's stop let's enjoy this properly for what it Mm -hmm. is so a lot of our programming and this is honestly the gateway for a lot of people um, is just uh, a a a pub night i mean this march we're going to get together and are renting out an irish pub and we have we've put together a Celtic band and we're going to sing Irish songs and sea shanties and stuff all night <laughs> and singing together, you know, like yeah. humans, like humans used to do <laughs> um, and giving people that spine tingling experience of, Oh wow, this is really cool. I wish people did this more often. Great. Let's do it more often. Yeah. Um, and then you have the understand level of of, of the programming and that's more oriented, um, that's where we move away from some simply um, enjoying something for its own sake and, and singing the songs and acting out the play and telling the stories. And when and we move to how do these things point us to God? Right, where there there are some good people out there in the apologetics space when it comes to film, when it comes to science, and, and um, excuse me, there are some good people out there in the apologetic space when it comes to film and science and all these other things and saying. Um, these things help demonstrate that there is a God. Mm -hmm. Um, We're more interested in, well, what kind of God? Mm -hmm. Because Christian theology is littered with claims that the world God has made is designed to point us to him, to tell us about him. There's a reason that a seed has to die in order for a flower to be grown from that and again somebody told me that no credit to me for that insight but <laughs> but resurrection is literally built into the fabric of creation and was from the beginning
1: mm-hmm.
0: we need to learn to pay attention to that and, and ask the questions of what does it mean to see that the God so so in in that case we do we do lectures we do courses some of it is online um, uh, we have a YouTube channel we, we love just learning seeing that thing more deeply. Um, so that's kind of the symbolic sense of the Christian imagination. The material world. This thing is. This world is symbolic. We want to be able to see God more clearly through it. And finally, the the third aspect of our programming is is uh, to embody the Christian imagination. You know, that's kind of the classic "How shall we then live?" Um, yeah. question. But it's also the question of of the doctrine of participation. How do we participate not only in the work of God but in God? Hmm. You know, that was Athanasius' phrase, that God became man, that man might become God. And you can misinterpret that all kinds of terrible ways, yeah. but, you know, what he meant was we are invited into the body of Christ. We are in, invited into not only the work of God, but God himself. He wants us, he wants to be one with us. We use that language all the time. As soon as we get specific, people start getting uncomfortable, but it's there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what does it mean to encounter God sacramentally in uh in his creation not worshiping the creation in a total sense but meeting him in it and that is the work of cultivation and subcreation and uh, passing on the faith through the great stories and the great gardens and the great feasts and the the kind of community that people spend their whole lives looking for
1: mm. Mm. Well, uh, blessings on you. I, I love the, that y'all are doing that in in Colorado Springs. How how local is the work you do? I mean, pub night—that's pretty much by definition local. I,
0: what what's the, what's we, we, the, we the local aspect of your work? It, it's ninety percent local, mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and that's intentional. We said from the beginning um, that. You know, honestly, we had our second or third lecture and people were already asking, um, you know, can you take this on tour? How can you, you know, can we, can we white label this and put it in other cities? Um, And and we said from the beginning, we have no business pitching something to someone else saying this will change your community when it hasn't changed so much as a light bulb in the local church. So what we do is first and foremost, incarnational face to face in real relationships and real congregations in a real community and we want our churches to be healthier and stronger and more imaginative and we want that to bleed out into the life of the city that we live in and here's you know the asterisk for those who don't live in colorado um we do want that to be a visible thing so to the extent that we can we try to uh, record or amplify what we're doing or the effects of what we're doing onto the internet. So you can see that in the form of um, we have one podcast believe to see that's just kind of hang out with us and talk about books and analyze mm-hmm. movies and, you know, kind of in, a little imitation into the life of our community. Um, we do other podcasts from time to time that are more theological in nature. Um, we do film um, everything we can, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's sometimes if we can just put a clip from that pub night up on YouTube, it's, it's an encouragement to people yeah Um, to see that this can be done
1: yeah uh do you do you do anything to to help people in other communities do their own version of of, you know community building and that sort of thing
0: yes um i've had a number of people reach out over the years and say i want to build something like what you've built um Mm -hmm. and i always i always give them a laundry list all right, here are the boxes you all have to check before I'll get too terribly involved. But the laundry list is not designed to manage my workload. It's designed to set them up for success. It's things like, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you want this to be real, you need to get one local church where the pastor is sold,
1: mm-hmm. where
0: he's bought into what you're trying to do and the church is bought into what you're trying to do. You need at least a little bit of financial support. You need at least five people who are willing to commit some serious time over two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, If you don't and you need things like a mission and a vision statement. What are what exactly are we trying to do here? We're not trying to save the world. We're trying to do one small concrete thing. The other day I was talking to somebody for whom it was just, um, I want to start essentially a salon group. I want to start a group of people that cares about creating and learning from the creation of others. And we want to just kind of pour life into each other. Great. It's five people in a living room. Um, that kind of stuff we can help with all day long. Um, Mm -hmm. More serious institutional stuff. I get them checking the boxes before we get involved. But I mean, that's already given birth to the Elliott Society in Maryland, the uh, Claritas Arts Group in in Roanoke. Um, You know, there are a few groups that have checked all those boxes and are doing thriving work uh, where where they are. So it's one of those things where um, we've never had an active planting program. But if you come to me and say, I'm serious about making something happen, we will do everything we can to help. Yeah, right.
1: All right, last question. Who are the writers who make you want to write, Brian? Uh
0: Robert Farr-Capon would be one. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony Estelin is another. Mm-hmm. Um what about their work? I mean,
1: obviously this is not the same thing as it may be these are your favorite writers, but what about their specifically the that makes me want make to you write want to yeah. sit down and, and try it yourself?
0: Um, um I think what what they do well, and this is this is th- there are there are yeah many writers that I love who have gifts that I will never have, and mm-hmm. and what, my response to their writing is simply, you know, oh Amy Lee, I am so glad you are alive. Oh Sarah yeah. Clarkson, I am so glad that you are writing. Right, yeah. um, but uh, people like Capon and and Esalen, um, these are people to quote Woodrow Wilson who have known life and loved the truth, and that manifests in. A very concrete love for a very specific thing it's literature in tony's uh, sense and it's mm-hmm. uh, food in, in k sense yeah. those people uh, have taken the time to learn and to love something so well that they have learned it well yeah right they've known it through loving it mm-hmm. um and that inspires me to both turn my own attention that way hey maybe today maybe this afternoon instead of Uh, doom scrolling on my phone, I will, you know, roast something. Yeah. Um, And, uh, but they also, yeah, they also make me want to write like that and think, okay, what would it look like to pour my attention, my activity, my life into something that is small and concrete and beautiful um, to the point where my love for it can spill out and make other people see it the way I do. Uh,
1: I love it. All right, Brian. Uh, Brian Brown, thanks so much for being here, um, and uh, thanks for the good work you're doing in Colorado Springs with Anselm Society, and uh, and thanks for this book. It's, it's really a helpful book.
0: Much appreciated. We enjoyed working on it, and hope it's a blessing to, to people. Thanks for inviting me on the show. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes
1: community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible
0: by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.